0: Good evening, everyone. Good to see you here tonight. Thank you for coming back. Tonight we're in the book of Philippians, Philippians chapter 4. And uh, this evening, we want to hear God's call to learn to take life in stride. Learn to take life in stride. I ran track for a period of time in my life I did not ever run the hurdles, but I know enough about running the hurdles in that you are never to alter or shorten your step when you come to a hurdle. You are to take it in stride. You are to maintain the same distance between your steps. Uh, Certainly, Elijah or uh, Mike can explain that to you far better than I, but uh, that's the truth, is it not? Yes, yes, they're shaking their head, yes, that's good. All right, so anyway, uh, we need to learn to take life in stride and not let hurdles uh, upset us or get in our way. In Philippians chapter 4, verse 5, it states, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. The uh, NAS translates that, let your gentle spirit be be known unto all men. The uh, King James says, let your moderation be known to all men. It's a difficult word to translate into English, but uh, I prefer the word even killedness. even The idea is that we are to maintain a level of emotion and thought that doesn't go high, doesn't go low. You know, many times people are uh, very moody. You know, one day you see them and they're sky high, and the next time you see them they're depressed. One time they're laughing, next time they're weeping and crying. Uh, We are to be even-keeled. We are to take life in stride. And uh, in so doing, we are going to be uh, fulfilling the ultimate command, which comes in chapter 4, verse 1, that is stand firm in the Lord, my beloved, not to be dissuaded or not to be moved from our commitment to the Lord. Tonight we're going to look at one major hurdle that we all face that we have to take in stride and that is worry, worry. And we are to find out that the Lord helps us to stand up and to conquer worry. Uh, In Philippians chapter 4 verse 6, which is our key verse for tonight, it says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving let your requests be made known unto God. Uh, The Lord is at hand, it tells us in Philippians chapter 4 verse 5, so the Lord will help us. So the theme tonight is that the Christian life is to be free from worry as a result of taking our requests to God in prayer. We begin by looking at this exhortation. And uh, a literal translation of verse 6 would be that the Christian is to stop worrying and pray instead. To stop worrying. When it says do not be anxious about anything in verse 6, the force of the construction in the original is actually an exhortation to stop worrying is not addressing a potential worry. He is addressing a very real and present worry. The assumption is that the Philippians are indeed worrying. And I can uh, assume tonight that we all, to some measure, struggle with worrying. Uh, to be unduly concerned about certain aspects of our lives or things concerning The future. The text assumes us to be warriors. We might ask the question well, what do the Philippians have to be worried about? Well, the Philippians had plenty to be worried about. The Philippians were worried about what Paul's imprisonment would mean for them and the cause of the gospel, which he addresses earlier. The Philippians were worried that Paul might actually be put to death. Uh, as a result of his commitment to the Lord. The Philippians were concerned about their own safety in the midst of persecution. Philippians 128, where Paul says, do not be frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but a view of salvation and that from God. So there was much to be worried about. But we're to see that the Christian is to be Life is to be one that is worry-free at all times. Notice in verse 6 it says, Do not be anxious about anything. Don't be anxious about anything. Again, it's not as though the Philippians, or us for that matter, have nothing to be worried about. It is true that sometimes our worries are unfounded. Some people are paranoid and see persecution under every rock. Uh, They think that people are out to get them. They think that uh, the world is against them. Some people are hypochondriacs. They worry about being sick, and they always see themselves as suffering from some ailment or uh, some malady, and they're worried about their health, and they're worried about their future. So some worries are unfounded. But some worries are very real. One person has said, just because I'm a paranoid doesn't mean that no one's out to get me. Uh, even hypochondriacs get sick. There really are legitimate reasons for us to succumb to worry. But it's not just the emotionally unstable or the psychologically weak that I have reason to worry. This exhortation is not meant to be demeaning. The world is a scary place. There is much that is beyond our control. And we are fools if we fail to recognize that. If we think that we have everything under control and that we can, in our own strength, handle anything that would come our way, we are just fooling ourselves. So we are not to make light of our troubles or to ignore our troubles, rather it's a call to keep our troubles in perspective. And so may we. Our jobs can be in danger. Money can be truly tight. Health issues can be real. We can go to the doctor and hear very uh, disconcerting news. So there are legitimate bases for Concern. So we have to ask ourselves, what is Paul exhorting the Philippians to do when he tells them to stop worrying? What is that to look like? Well, the first thing we need to realize is that we need to make a distinction between concern and worry. There is such a thing as a healthy concern. Uh, Timothy... Is spoken of positively in Philippians chapter 2, verse 20, when Paul says this, For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. So here Paul is praising Timothy and says, I don't have anybody like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. But what's interesting is that the word that's used in Philippians chapter 2, verse 20, is the word that's used in our text to stop being anxious. So it depends on context. There's a fine line between concern, which actually is spoken highly of in the scripture, and worry, which is spoken negatively. So we're to be concerned, but we're not to be worried, worryful, uh, yeah, we should not evidence worry. <clears throat> so, what does proper, when does proper concern end and worry begin? Well, concern is positive in that it seeks a solution to problems. Con- concern is constructive and beneficial. Concern looks into the future and plans for negative events, such as saving money for a rainy day. Concern is a good thing. Worry is negative. In that, it anticipates problems for which there are no solutions. Worry is destructive and harmful. Worry creates stress. Worry is hard on our bodies. Worry produces negative effects in our lives. Concern looks for an answer. And in our text, we're going to find that the ultimate answer is to pray. Pray. Praying is the way in which concern should manifest itself. We should think about the future. We should pray about the future. We should think about our present circumstances. We should pray about our present circumstances. We shouldn't fret over them, but rather we are to take them to the Lord in prayer. So this remedy for worry is important. When one is bitten by a poisonous snake, you need an antidote for that poison. When we think about worry, we need an antidote to worry, and that antidote is is prayer. The remedy is not self-confidence or an ungodly presumption that we have everything under control, and thus there is no cause for worry. I remember my brother-in-law was uh, getting married, and on his wedding day, I said to him, how are you doing? He said, fine, no worries. I've got this under control. Well, a few hours later was the wedding ceremony, and he fainted three times during his wedding. Uh, Didn't quite have it under control. This isn't a macho call for us to bring everything under control and and uh, say life is just a piece of cake, that uh, this trouble that I'm in is like any other day, uh, I've got this. No, uh, it's a recognition of need. Nor is the call to not worry a call to blindness, to potential harm or danger. We're not to live a life of naivety in which we are impervious or unaware of potential harms and dangers. It's not a matter of closing our eyes to reality. It's not pretending that life isn't filled with hardship and difficulty and unpleasant situations in which we do not want to find ourselves. It's not talking about living a life that is impervious to difficulty. Actually, the book of Philippians gives three answers to the question as how to be free from worry and full or of peace, and how that is to be obtained. The three are this: first, this uh, caref- carefree life or life of peace is to be obtained through right responses. That is prayer, verse six. <coughs> Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. Secondly, the peaceful life is to be obtained through right thinking. Philippians 4, 8. Finally, brother, whatever things are true, whatever things are honest, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. Uh, So what we think about is incredibly important to having this mind of peace. And the third is making right choices in life. Philippians 4 9, What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. So all three are essential in having a life of peace, of praying, of thinking about life from the right perspective, and making right choices in life. The uh, second two we're going to look at in the coming weeks Tonight, we are focusing on this aspect of prayer, prayer, that the first response to living a worry-free life is through prayer. In every situation, we are to turn to God. It is the universal answer to the universal need. In verse 6, it says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything. So we should not worry in any situation, because we should pray in every situation. Prayer is always appropriate. Prayer is the proper response to any worry that we could have. Whatever undue concern is manifest, that is something to be praying about. Prayer is the universal answer to a universal need. We're to turn to God through the instrumentality of prayer in verse six. It says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication. With thanksgiving, that your request be made known unto God. So it talks about prayer and supplication. The difference in prayer and supplication is not a difference of content, but a difference of form. So it's not the words that are different when we talk about prayer and supplication. It's not the content of the prayer, but rather it's the form. The word prayer that's used here refers to times of prayer in a formal sense. Such as bringing your request to a prayer meeting. Or making your request known on the church's prayer list. These are formal avenues of prayer. Those are good. Those are good. Supplications are the informal Elements of prayer. That is our own individual prayer life. Whether scheduled or unscheduled, but most likely unscheduled. The scheduled would fit in more with the first. So that in your regularly times of prayer, whenever that is, before meals, before going to bed, in the daily devotions, those are times to bring your request before, before God. But also when you're driving in the car. Also when you are in the midst of a situation That is the time to pray and to ask God for help and ask God for wisdom and ask God for whatever it is that you need, uh, you stand in need of at that present time. The fourth is that we're to pray about all our anxieties at any time and in a variety of ways, whether that be silent or out loud, whether that would be inwardly, whether that would be outwardly, whether that would be corporately with others, or individually, we are to be exercising all of the avenues of prayer that are available to us. In our turning to God, we're to be grateful that we have such a God to turn to, verse 6. Do not be anxious about anything but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving that your request be made known to God. Not that we have to butter God up and manipulate God before we begin to make requests or ask of him certain things. I almost get the impression that that's the way some people feel. Before I can go and ask God something... All right, we're back. We, okay? Okay. I, I, I get the impression that some people almost think that, you know, you have to butter God up, you have to flatter God, you have to thank God, go through a list of things before you are going to pray. That's not the thought here. Rather, the idea is that we're to be thankful that there's an outlet. We're, we're to be grateful that there is something that we can do, that we're not hopeless, that We are just stuck in this situation of anxiety and worry with no help or end in sight. But we're to go with a sense of appreciation and thanksgiving that God is at hand. That I can pray to God anytime, any place for God is omniscient, he knows all things. God is omnipresent, he is everywhere. So I can pray and be thankful to God for that opportunity to pray. We are to turn to God and bring to him those things that are the cause of worry. End of verse six. Let your requests be made known unto God. Tell God what it is that you are worried about. What are your needs? What are your concerns? What is it that, is plaguing us. Now we look at the outcome. What does a worry-free life look like? What is it that we should be seeking to obtain? When is this exhortation fulfilled? When can I say that I am meeting the criteria of this particular verse? Well, the antithesis in this passage of worry is peace. Peace. That's what we want in life. Peace. Notice Philippians 4, 7. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, shall guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Jesus. Oddly enough, the phrase peace of God is found only here in the New Testament. Elsewhere, we read of being at peace with God, such as Romans 5.1, therefore being justified by faith, we have peace with God, meaning that God is no longer angry with us. God is no longer our enemy, but we are now friends with God through the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so God is at peace with us. What is the more common phrase is the God of peace, such as you find in verse 9. The things that you have learned and received and heard from me, practice these things, and the God of peace shall be with you. It appears that that prepositional phrase, God of peace, in verse 9, is a genitive of source. That is, the phrase is telling us that peace comes from God and is granted by God. God, who is the source of peace, will bestow peace to you, is the emphasis of verse 9. However... In verse 7, where it says, And the peace of God which surpasses all understanding, which is translated that way by all the major translations, I think is the right understanding of the genitive. It's not a genitive of source, but it's a genitive of description. So when it's talking about God's peace, it's talking about the peace that God has. Verse 9 talks about the peace that God will give you. Verse 7 is talking about God's very own peace. So that you can have the same kind of peace that God has. That is very much in keeping with the words of Jesus. In John chapter 14, verse 27, he says, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you. Not as the world gives, I give unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. So when he says, my peace I give unto you, he's talking about the peace that he himself possesses. My peace is the peace that you will have. My peace is the kind of peace that you will experience. So we're talking about the kind of peace that God has. A God-like peace. Peace. Now, unpacking that. Well, what in the world is a God like peace? Well, God is at peace. Nothing worries God. Nothing gets God out of kilter. God doesn't find a circumstance in which He breaks stride. God is at peace. Nothing bothers him. Listen to Psalm chapter 2. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves. The rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us burst their bonds apart. Cast away their cords from us. So here are the nations of the earth rallying together with the intent of thwarting God, of overthrowing God's power, of taking God's dominion away from him. So what is God's response to all the nations of the world coming together to fight against him. Let me read it again. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us burst their bonds apart. Cast them away, their their cords from us. Here's his response. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. Ha! Huh. Who do they think they are? What can they do against me? God is not worried, he laughs. He laughs. It's like a 2-year-old that threatens to beat us up. It's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. God laughs at the potential Well, the psalmist says, in Psalm 23, you know it very well, says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, that's what comforts me. You'll be with me. Psalm 27, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is my strength and my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked, even my enemies, came upon me to eat of my flesh, they stumbled and fell. Though a host should camp against me, my heart shall not fear. For God is on our side. What can man do against God? And the answer is nothing. Nothing. And so we are to have God's peace. We are to have that settled disposition that God is in control. And no matter how bleak things may look, no matter how obstinate people may be, no matter how limited our resources are, with God on our side, we have nothing to fear. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. I, I will not have need. Nothing worries God, therefore nothing should worry us. That should result in a peace that is described in verse 7 as that which surpasses all understanding. The NAS translates that, surpasses all comprehension. This kind of peace is so vast that it cannot be fully comprehended by the human mind. It's an unimaginable peace, one that never is dreamed possible. An unexplicable or indescribable peace. A peace that one must experience to understand. It's a peace that is derived not from scheming or anticipating various scenarios. It's not a peace that results from our being in control. Plans fail. God does not. Faith in ourselves is misplaced. Faith in God is never misplaced. That is where our faith belongs. Our confidence is to be in him and not in us, or our money, or our resources, or our strength, or anything that we think that we need in order to be at peace. The only surety that we have in life is God. But we're to be thankful because we have access to God. We're to be thankful because he's open to hear from us and he invites us to cast our care upon him knowing that he cares for us. And so the promise is that God will preserve us from the harmful and destructive elements of worry. God will safeguard our emotions, verse 7. He will guard your hearts. All too often, people are beside themselves, going to pieces, falling apart, coming unglued, I love all that terminology because it just it's shattering. Life's events can bring us to nothing. But God is able to guard our hearts. He's able to safeguard our thinking. For it says in verse seven, in your minds, God will guard our thoughts, allow us to see clearly, rationally, logically, confidently. Not jump to worst-case scenarios. That's what happens with worry. With worry, we think about all of the untoward things that could take place. We worry about things, and Mark Twain said, half the things in life we worry about never even happen. That is so true. And many times we worry because we put the worst spin on it. As soon as we get sick, We can jump to the conclusion I'm going to die tomorrow. We can jump to the conclusion that we're going to be bankrupt. We can jump to the conclusion that life is just going to end in all kinds of misery and heartache and all kinds of things. But he's able to guard our hearts and our thoughts. The psalmist said, it's vain for you to rise up early to sit up late. And so he gives his beloved peace. There's nothing to be gained by staying up all night and worrying. It's not going to get you anywhere. It's not going to be helpful. The psalmist said, I will lay myself down in peace, for thou, Lord, only makest me dwell in safety. What should you do those nights that you're laying awake and you're dreading the doctor's visit, you're thinking about your bills, whatever the case may be, you're thinking about your children, maybe their waywardness, whatever the cause of anxiety, what's the way to handle that? Pray. Pray. Now, I don't want to be oversimplistic. simplistic It's not the only answer. Even in the book of Philippians, there's two others. But for tonight, that's an important part of it. Pray. Pray, pray, that's what you do. Pray, thankful that you can call God to help you. But most of all, what is in view in this passage is that he will guard our steadfastness. For it says in verse seven, the peace of God which passes all understanding will guard, guard, guard. He will watch guard. He will stand guard over our emotions. He will stand guard over our thoughts. He will keep them in check. He will help us in times of adversity so that the ultimate command in chapter four is to stand firm in the Lord, my beloved. That's the ultimate strength that he's going to give to us in our worry and in our anxiety that we'll remain faithful to God. We'll remain faithful to God. One of my worries has always been, would I be faithful to God in times of persecution? What would I do if somebody were holding a gun to my head And telling me to recant my faith. I've always worried that I wouldn't have the guts to really stand firm in my commitment to the Lord. And I'll tell you, I don't think I do have the guts. But it's not about my guts. Sorry for the slang. It's about God's protection. It's about God's deliverance. Paul writes in the book of Romans, I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things come, nor any created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. God is the one who causes us to stand. God is the one who sees us through the difficulties of life. God is the one who provides for us. God is the one who encourages us to pray, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Give us this day our daily bread. The problem is we aren't satisfied with our daily bread. We want tomorrow's bread. We want next week's bread. We want next month's bread. We want the bread 10 years from now. We want to know that the bread will be there in our retirement. We're to trust God for this day. This moment. In the book of Matthew. Again, a great passage on worry. In The Matthew passage, it's about worrying about clothing. It's worrying about all the things that it says the Gentiles seek. But you seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. You don't have to be thinking about tomorrow. There's enough right now to be concerned about. And the thing to do is to pray about it. To pray about it and trust God. That he is the provider. He is the caretaker. He will prepare a table before he will prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. That's a that's a beautiful beautiful word picture. Surrounded by enemies, and God and you sit down to a picnic lunch with nothing to be afraid of for one's enemies. These are difficult days and difficult times. Yes, there is much to concern us, for there is much that is beyond our control. But there's nothing that's beyond God's control. And he invites you to come to him and share your needs, your concerns. The constructive way of handling concern is prayer. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, these are things that are so easy to say and so hard to live out. So, Lord, increase our understanding of who you are. First, give us a greater understanding of your love and grace for us. That we are acceptable in your sight. And that because of what Jesus Christ has done for us, you will hear and you will answer. It's not based on our righteousness. It's based on your goodness and your grace. So give us confidence that we can come boldly under the throne of grace in times of need. To believe that you will hear and you will answer. Give us a greater understanding of your power, of your dominion, that you are over all things. Nothing can thwart you. Lord, help us to see that you are the one who owns a cattle on a thousand hills, the wealth in every mine. Help us to understand that every good and perfect gift comes from you. Help us to understand that everything that we have already possessed has been by your power and your grace, and all that we will possess is by your power and by your grace. Help us to trust in that power and that grace. Lord, help us to spend time in prayer, formal prayer and informal prayer. Lord, make us a praying people. Make us thankful. Help us to go tonight leaving rejoicing, thankful that we can call upon God who will hear us, and who will help us. What a blessing that you're a God who's not afar off. Be anxious for nothing. The Lord is at hand. We thank you that you're at hand. You're accessible to us. We don't need an appointment. We don't need a reservation. We can come at any time, day or night, any place, and call upon you, and you will hear. For it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Thank you all, and we are dismissed.